0: This is Double Truck Stories, the home for some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Justin Ellis. He owns a cherry red private jet and has homes in Monte Carlo and Colorado. It's not surprising to find him turning heads in a designer tuxedo at the Met Gala. And he's been known to spend time at the club with Drake and been rumored to date a member of the Kardashian family. No matter what way you look at it, Lewis Hamilton is living what looks like his best life. The F1 driver is one of the most famous athletes in the world and is dominant on the track. He's won the F1 World Championship in 2014 and 2015, and in the last three seasons, he's racked up 31 victories. During that same time, all other active drivers have only won eight races combined. So what's it like to be Lewis Hamilton? There's photo shoots, parties, autograph sessions, and one very affectionate bulldog named Roscoe. Wayne Dres offers a glimpse of what it's like to be side-by-side with Hamilton as he prepares for the Barcelona Grand Prix. Coming up later, join me for a conversation with Wayne where we find out how he fared doing Hamilton's personal Muay Thai workout. Here's Wheels Up and Hammer Down.
1: 36 hours after his most dismal race of the young Formula One season, Lewis Hamilton has a problem. He has flown from Sochi, Russia to New York, and he needs to leave his hotel room in the next 20 minutes for the most exclusive of celebrity social events, the Met Gala. But he's not ready. Hamilton's problem isn't the perfectly tailored green velvet tuxedo that Dolce & Gabbana provided. It isn't the subtle black bow tie choker tight so it won't show up crooked in any red carpet photos. And it certainly isn't the look-at-me, black-and-gold patterned slip-ons he's rocking sans socks. It's his hair. The 32-year-old's regular stylist just had a baby, so there's someone new in charge of Hamilton's head. But instead of the tight curls he prefers, the end result looks a bit more like large ringlets. And once Hamilton finds something he isn't happy with, he can't let it go. His perfectionist ways are why his friends call him Hawkeye. He sees things no one else does, be it a narrow gap to make a pass on the track or a single thread out of place during a photo shoot. And on a night like this, when appearance is everything, bad hair simply won't cut it. Five years ago, this wouldn't have been an issue. Hamilton's former F1 team, McLaren, would have discouraged him from hopping the Atlantic for such CNBC and tabloid fodder. Lewis's father, Anthony, his one time manager, also would have disapproved. It was very restrictive, Hamilton says now. But in 2010, he fired his dad, and in 2012, Hamilton left McLaren for Mercedes. Now he spends Easter with Kim and Kanye, parties with Rihanna in Barbados, and is a stage-side staple at the biggest fashion shows in the world. More freedom has brought with it more checkered flags, with Hamilton winning his second and third world championships in 2014 and 2015 and finishing second last year. Five races into the 2017 season, heading into Monaco, he was again second in the standings, six points behind Ferrari's Sebastian Vettel. His on-track success and elevated celebrity status come as Hamilton enters the final phase of his racing career, and it's led to a once preposterous thought. Can Lewis Hamilton become not only the greatest F1 driver of his generation, but also one of the biggest celebrities of any stripe in the world? For now, the Met Gala, with its $30,000 tickets and ultra-exclusive guest list featuring the likes of Taylor Swift, Beyonce, and Jay-Z, awaits. Hamilton texts his fashion stylists, and reinforcements arrive within minutes, There is water, a dab of mousse, and a bit of hairspray. The curls are restyled piece by piece. After lotion, cologne, and a quick clipping of his fingernails, Hamilton approves. Time to go. This isn't fun, Hamilton says. This is business. It's all part of the takeover. For most Formula One drivers, the post-race routine is simple. Head home. Eat sleep, rest, and repeat. They wake up and breathe racing, Hamilton says, but that's not what this is all about. You have to enjoy it. Hamilton, Britain's richest sportsman, worth a reported $250 million, unapologetically finds his enjoyment in million-dollar cars, a cherry red private jet, and homes in Monte Carlo and Colorado. He lives out of a suitcase 300 days a year, jet-setting here and there for the latest red carpet affair. Where other drivers do whatever's asked to please the F1 elite, Hamilton follows his own path. There are shirtless, hey look at my chiseled abs" selfies on Instagram, his own personal logo, a la Jordan, Tiger, or Messi. He once dated Nicole Scherzinger of the Pussycat Dolls, and it's Perfectly normal to spot Beyonce, Bieber, or a Kardashian in the F1 paddock cheering his number 44 Mercedes. Last year, F1 instructed him not to Snapchat at the track. He still did, using Rabbit and Fox filters on himself and other drivers. It didn't go over well with the British media, and Hamilton walked out of a news conference after suggesting everyone just lighten up. You also don't make friends by racking up 33 victories in the past four seasons, while other active drivers have won 11 combined. In the final race of 2016, teammate Nico Rosberg needed only to finish third to win the championship. Hamilton led the race, but with Rosberg in second, he defied Mercedes and slowed to let the rest of the field gain on the leaders. His gamble didn't pay off. Hamilton won the race, Rosberg the title. I like to smile, laugh, and have a good time, he says. Having said that, am I stubborn? Yeah. yeah. Do I hate losing? Yeah. yeah. People say I finished second and I should be happy? No. I trained my off to be first, not second, first. And sometimes people forget that. He's judged based not on what he does, but on people's expectations of what he should do. Mercedes communications director Bradley Lord says he's a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. When he gives up and says he doesn't care about fitting in that hole anymore, that winds people up. Two days after the Met Gala in the basement of a Muay Thai gym in New York, Hamilton lies in the blue canvas of a boxing ring, staring at the ceiling above as sweat slaloms down his cheeks. He's halfway through a 90-minute martial arts workout. Apparently, my heart rate has a limit, he cracks. During his set of 200 sit-ups, a group of kids shows up for after-school karate. That was him in England in the 1990s, the shy kid picked on in school who asked Dad if he could try karate. Hamilton climbed to black belt before quitting for racing. I wish I'd never stopped, he says. It was great for the mind as well as the body. Muay Thai is the same. It builds mental toughness and strengthens his core without adding muscle. He has dedicated himself to dropping weight in recent years. One more advantage on the track. On this day, there are 100 knuckle push-ups, jumping jacks with 20-pound weights, 10 minutes of knee and shin kicks into a heavy bag. But the time he actually climbs into the ring to spar, he's spent. At the same time, on the other side of the Atlantic, Hamilton's Mercedes team is at the shop in England upgrading a car it will bring to Barcelona for the Spanish Grand Prix. Everyone wants to avoid a disaster like Sochi, where Hamilton finished fourth, more than 36 seconds behind the race winner, Mercedes teammate Valtteri Bottas. For Hamilton, the key is getting away. In the two weeks between races, he will fly from Sochi to New York to Los Angeles to London, and then on to Barcelona. His team, actively encourages it. The minute you put him in a box and try to squeeze him into a framework of obligations, his performance is going to suffer. Mercedes F1 boss Toto Wolff says, This is what happened at McLaren. How he's set up? He wants to break free. Our aim is to help him perform well. On the sun-filled Thursday afternoon before the Spanish Grand Prix near Barcelona, a herd of fans stretches 10 deep, pressing against a metal barrier arms, and selfie sticks fully extended. In a span of 20 minutes, Hamilton signs his name more than 150 times. He poses for some 30 selfies. Each step back to the Mercedes garage, there is someone waiting. Fans, paramedics, volunteers, security officials, even journalists. They walk up next to Hamilton, stick their camera in his face, lean in, and snap. It's the same at every track, 20 times a year. In Austin a few years ago, one female fan fainted after meeting Hamilton. I don't get it, Hamilton says. When I meet people and they are starstruck with me, I find it weird. Of course I've met people I've admired, like Nelson Mandela, but not to the point of screaming and passing out. An hour after the autograph session, Hamilton and other F1 drivers are back on the track posing for a picture with a group of kids before a go-kart race. For most of the drivers, it's a high and by photo op. Hamilton stays for almost 30 minutes, shooting videos on his phone while high-fiving every single kid. One boy walking by trips over Hamilton's feet. The driver sticks his arm out and catches the kid. When the go-karts pull away, the smell of gasoline fills the air. I miss that smell, Hamilton says. Carding is where his story began, with Anthony Hamilton working multiple jobs, emptying his savings, and taking out a second mortgage to help his son chase F1 dreams. It's a story Hamilton says mirrors that of the Jamaican bobsled team and the movie Cool Runnings. When they pull out that bobsled and everyone stops and says, what the hell? I swear in my life, when my dad and I showed up, Everyone stopped and looked at us just like that, Hamilton says. And when my dad had to go around and find sponsorships and ask people if they would like to sponsor the first black F1 driver, I'm not sure they laughed like in cool runnings, but certainly not many people supported us. Those were the last days when life was normal. By age 13, Hamilton was part of McLaren's Young Driver Development Program. At age 22, He started his first F1 race. He won four races as a rookie, finishing second overall in the point standings, then followed that up with five more victories and his first championship in 2008. Inside, he felt like a robot. Hamilton says McLaren and his father instructed him on everything from what to wear to what to say. He didn't even have control of his own bank account. I won races. But there was this chained kind of feeling, Hamilton says, like when you're old enough to move out, but you're still living at home and feel stuck. That's why he decided to leave McLaren and no longer work with his dad, a decision he says was one of the toughest of his life. It was like my last step of independence as a man, he says. Mercedes wanted to grow. I was up front with them. This is who I am. This is who you're buying. And they already knew. They embraced it. By Thursday night, three days before the Spanish Grand Prix, the hospitality suite is largely emptied, save for Hamilton and his closest confidant, a bulldog named Roscoe. On the same hardwood floor where the chairman of Mercedes will stand in 48 hours, Roscoe chases an empty plastic water bottle, slamming into a row of chairs. Hamilton laughs. He owns two bulldogs, bringing them along everywhere he can. They don't care if I win or lose, he says. They are so pure. In my world, everyone always smiles. You don't know who means it. I never wonder with them. After a quiet dinner of grilled salmon, Hamilton pulls out his phone. When Hamilton's hands aren't wrapped around a steering wheel, they are almost always holding his phone. He points to a screensaver, a portrait of a beautiful woman. This is my auntie, Hamilton says. She's with me every day. Hamilton explains that his Aunt Diane died five years ago after a short battle with cancer. The day before she died, she told her nephew she couldn't believe she had run out of time. There was so much more she wanted to do. She asked me to promise her not to waste any time, to live every day like it could be your last. And I've taken that more than any lesson I've ever had, Hamilton says. In his day job, Hamilton's World flies by at 200 miles an hour. As impossible as it might be, he tries to keep that same pace off the track. No one gets to the end and wishes they had more money, he says. When my time comes, I want to say, I had a good life. I did everything I possibly could. And that means when I'm here, I always want to go do That means dominating the track on Sundays, no matter who's in the field. It means sandboarding in the United Arab Emirates, or waging a tickle war with his niece and nephew, or preening for the Met Gala. Hamilton says it's business, but it sure looks like fun. So why does the man who strives for a judgment-free life, who cherishes the unconditional companionship of his dogs, regularly find himself in one of the most superficial places on earth? the red carpet? I can't say I really have friends there. I have people who I know, but could I call them if everything fell apart in this world? Hell no, Hamilton says. Not one single person who I think would be there for me. That's my boys in the bobsled. That's my family. As Hamilton sees it, building relationships in the entertainment world sets the foundation for his life after racing, which he says will come In the next 5 to 10 years He's already recorded Several hip hop tracks That he hasn't released publicly But has shared with close friends As well as Drake, Kanye, and Pharrell The firm that handles his PR Purple Also reps Adele and Alicia Keys I refuse to let this be The be all end all of my life Hamilton says There is more for me This is my side hobby There are other things I'm great at And interested in when I stop, it will just be the next chapter. But to do those things, I have to elevate myself beyond these walls. As excited as I am to race on Sundays and be in Formula One, I'm just as excited about what's beyond. Before leaving his RV to head for the track on race morning, Hamilton kneels down and rubs Roscoe on the muzzle. I'll see you later, buddy, he says. Having won the Spanish Grand Prix poll by one twentieth of a second the day before, He has a huge advantage at a track where it's difficult to pass. But at the start of the race, Hamilton spins his tires. Before the first turn, Vettel's red Ferrari slips past. After a tire change on lap 38, Vettel exits the pits as Hamilton flies down the straightaway. Side by side, the two cars roar into the first turn, with both drivers refusing to give an inch. Hamilton's silver Mercedes briefly slides off the track. The Ferrari garage erupts. But racing on softer, faster tires, Hamilton knows he has the advantage. For the next seven laps, Hamilton magnetizes his car to Vettel's. On the first turn of lap 44, Hamilton sees an opening. He cuts inside, and there's nothing the German can do. Hamilton takes the lead. For the next half hour, Hamilton's crew sits in the garage, nervously monitoring everything from tire wear to engine temperature. It all looks perfect. Vettel never has a chance. Hamilton artfully paints his car around the sun-drenched track for the next 22 laps. He takes the checkered flag. His 55th Formula One win, second most all-time, behind Michael Schumacher's 91. Hamilton parks his car and jumps off the front, pumping his fist. He runs to the stands, where German soccer star Mats Hummels, actor James Marsden, and Marsden's girlfriend, British singer Idai, are cheering. It's a modest celeb turnout for Hamilton, but that's to be expected with Monaco next on the calendar. For the next two and a half hours, Hamilton doesn't stop. There are nearly 90 minutes of interviews, which don't begin until Hamilton uses the mirror on his reflective glasses to make sure his head is straight and his face is sweat free. After a change of clothes, there are more photos and the customary champagne war with his team. Finally, he retreats to the Mercedes suite. Someone brings a tray filled with a special cocktail concoction, vodka and the new grape-flavored monster energy drink Hamilton helped create. Marsden marvels at how masterfully the energy drink masks the vodka. Hamilton limits himself to just one sip, but he too is blown away. That's crazy, Hamilton says. Seriously, how much vodka did you put in there? That could really f*** you up. This is as crazy as the party gets. A day earlier, there were plans to go to London, New York for a day, and then back to London before returning home to Monaco. But Hamilton is exhausted. He can't remember the last time a race took this much out of him. He reportedly lost almost five pounds during the race. The man who swore his energy was endless has somehow emptied his tank. He just wants to go home to his own couch, his own bed. Once there... He'll take Roscoe for a walk on the beach, order some carryout food from his favorite sushi place, and then he'll pop in a movie. There are no parties tonight, he said. This is it. I'm going home. I'm going to sleep for two days, and then it's time to get ready for Monaco. Now that will be a party.
0: That was Wheels Up and Hammered Down, written by Wayne Dray's, Wayne's with us now to talk about the story. Thanks for being here, Wayne.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's a pleasure. I'm excited about it. Thanks, Justin.
0: So, to start off with, obviously Lewis Hamilton's one of the busiest athletes in the world. He's he's one of the most well-known, obviously. He was part of our Fame Index. How tricky was it to get access to him?
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't as hard as I thought it might have been, you know. I mean, I've done stories in the past with, you know, high-profile uh, international athletes like Michael Phelps and and Bodie miller and 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 people of that sort of ilk and 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 those were sometimes more challenging you know with with lewis i mean really i uh you know reached out to the pr team that handles his pr which is pretty interesting it's the same pr firm that does musicians like uh, alicia keys and 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 beyonce and some of the biggest acts in the world And, and they handle uh his pr and just told them hey look you know um, this is something that we want to do. And I, I explained to them what the fame index was. They're based in London and the event that they didn't, uh, weren't familiar with it. And, uh, so we, you know, I want to come and tell the story of what it's like to, you know, jet set with Lewis for, for a couple days and, and get a, get a small glimpse of, uh, you know, what, what that celebrity is like for someone, uh, of his stature and with his lifestyle. And they were, they were on board.
0: So when you're reporting out something like this and then obviously writing it out, what what are the kind of details and scenes and situations that you're looking for to really be evocative and to really give readers a sense of being side by side with Lewis?
1: Yeah, sure. So the challenge in a story like this is you want to be around your subject or your athlete as much as possible. And yet you don't want to be uh, annoying and in the way. And, <laughs> and that is, that is the fine line that you're constantly walking because look, like, you know, I'm essentially, uh, being absorbed into his posse, if you will, at a handful of, of events and places he goes and photo shoots and meetings and, uh, that's not normal for them to have a reporter there taking notes and, and and staring at them and wondering what are they thinking and why are they moving this way and, right. and all these things, right? And so you need to build a, a, a trust level and a comfort with them. And as time goes on, um, it does become normal uh, for you to be there. and. And the beauty is, you know, my editors at ESPN, you know, allowed me the opportunity to, to meet with Lewis uh, in New York briefly uh, before I was uh, with him in Spain at the race. And getting to know him a little bit that day um, and, and, you know, making fun of myself, I can tell you that story in a little bit here. And, and then as time went on in Spain, by the time the race day happened, um, I was as much sort of in that group as, as any of these other people. And, and that's why, uh, that's how stories like this work.
0: So jumping into that a little bit, you know, let's get, let's get some details here. How much time were you with him and of the scenes and locations that you were there, which ones were the most valuable to you?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I think, I think probably the most important uh, scene, the most important moment of all, and it wasn't even a big part of the story, but when I did meet with Lewis, uh, he was in New York uh, for the Met Gala. Uh, unfortunately, I did not get invited to join him on that. It was really, <laughs> really a bummer. But uh, I don't think next, our
0: expenses would cover what yeah, it costs right? to get into that.
1: Right. Uh, but the next day, he was doing uh, some Muay Thai boxing training uh, in a gym in New York, and uh, he invited me to come along. And it was literally me, his trainer, and uh, you know his best friend, basically the four of us. And I was you know that awkward guy standing around wondering how I should carry myself in this new situation. But you know, about forty minutes into his workout, he was taking a break. And he asked me in, like, jeans and, like, a polo to try one of the exercises. And I'm not, you know, too proud to make fun of myself. So uh, I hopped on this bag and started kicking and punching and made a complete jerk out of myself. And, and I look over, and Lewis is filming this on my cell phone and completely <laughs> cracking up. And and that was the moment where I was like, okay, like, we're good. Like, like he, he thinks it's funny. You know, we're all, we all – and from that moment on, truthfully – um, things were things were really easy and, and, and it went well and you know what, when he's at the track when we were in Barcelona at to the track together I mean it, it's hard to tell the moments that he's like super locked in and the moments where he just looks that way but as is as chill as ever and so I'm someone who very much uh, just tries to like stay out of the way and, and come around and come in closer when I'm invited and with Lewis that worked I remember one day at the track when he said uh you know, have you been into you know, like his private his private space there? Like so sort of a, a private room he has in right. the in the team motorhome. And I was like, no. He's like, you haven't. He's like, get in here. And like, look, it's not that exciting. It's a room with a couch and his helmets and like a TV, right? But it's a place that nobody goes. Um, and he was, you know, this is, you know, and he's introduced me to the entire engineering staff, and and so you know, I, I think, you know, like I said, that that moment in New York and 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 poking fun on myself and uh you know if you want to say uh bonding over my uh, athletic weakness uh sort of drew us together
0: <laughs> so obviously as we talked about one big part of this is that lewis is known for his celebrity and that's something that's really shown in this piece but how did you want to balance that out to kind of demonstrate that the ways that he focuses on competing
1: yeah, well, I think you know, you know, I talked to my to my editor on the piece, and and one of the things that I was concerned about in the beginning was, hey, we can go and hop on private jets and you know go to Monaco and and live the red carpet uh, bottle service life, you know, with Lewis Hamilton and write this incredible story, but but what are we going to have that's of of substance that reveals some of his character? You mentioned his competitiveness, why he is. Uh, The way he is, why he lives this lifestyle, who he is to a certain extent, because, you know, a lot of the readers of, you know, ESPN magazine and and sports fans in America might not know him. And so that was kind of the concern that I had. And, uh, you know, in in talking to the people around him uh, in Spain, uh, you know, his 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 friends, his stylists, um, there's a woman that works for Mercedes that that basically is his. Uh, you know, I, just like his, his his personal assistant, if you will, but in charge of race things. So she's the one with his helmet. She's the one you watch any race that they're in, and you see the the woman with the blonde ponytail. That's she's there for Lewis and talking to her, and you know she's seen him at his highs and his lows, and and understanding, um, you know, why uh, he has to live this sort of lifestyle. What it was like when he raced for McLaren, his last team, and wasn't allowed. To go to these sorts of functions, how they help him relax, all those sorts of things, that took the story from just "hey, this is a fun little uh, tag around party story" to something that had a little bit of of, of more substance and meat to it.
0: Well, uh, I'm glad you you brought that up because that was another one of my questions. And you know, how did you come to that conclusion that there is this this very this very real connection between him being able to jet set and live out his suitcase? For as many weeks and days and months of the year, and the success that he's brought to Mercedes.
1: Yeah, I mean that was something that was sort of suggested to me from uh, some other writers I had talked to, that some other F1 writers and other people that that knew Lewis pretty well. And and then when I finally you know sat down and had my you know formal interview, uh, if you will, with Lewis uh, one night in the Mercedes garage uh, that week, um, he was wide open about it. And 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 easily talked about how different it was at McLaren. How his father was very controlling uh, when he was younger. Um, you know, wouldn't let him. Uh, you know, do much of anything. He said, you know, the McLaren folks would tell him what to wear, how to comb his hair. You know, what jewelry he he couldn't and 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 could. Uh, you know, flash uh, all these different things. And that's just not his personality. Um, and it's it, it's there's you know initially I thought it was really interesting that here's somebody who does not fit the mold of F1 at all. Um, the F the F the mold of the F1 driver I would say your stereotypical F1 driver is probably somebody who came from a very affluent background. Um, think of uh, you know he, he he very likely is probably German. Um, and, you know, but 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 really, I mean, yeah. like, this is sort of what and there's a certain way they're expected to carry themselves and act. They, they're not, you know, Lewis is covered with tattoos um, and there's there's people, there's F1 fans and followers who have a hard time with seeing, you know, Lewis Hamilton in the front row of, you know, fashion week in Paris and, you know, some kind of a fancy uh, outlet. I mean, it bothers them. Um, and, and I thought that was very unfair. I mean, this is truly who this man is. Who cares? Um, and so there's this this tug of war of this man who wants to be himself and is the biggest star in his sport. And yet a lot of people uh, you know, in that sport who can't stand him because he's being himself. Right, right. Um, and so we, we talked about that. And, 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 and he explained what he had gone through and, and, and still goes through in many ways. And, and how he had to get to a point where it's like, you know what? This is who I am. I'm going to be me. If you don't like it, screw you.
0: (laughs) Well, as you just touched on, obviously one part of this is his his history, whether that's with McLaren but also his father and the role that he had in this. How did you balance out that need to give that history with telling the story in today and in real time?
1: Yeah, I mean – I wish, uh, as any writer does, that I, that I would have had more space because there were so many more <laughs> things I wanted to get into, right? I mean, one of the things that, that I thought about is, you know, in in many ways, Lewis Hamilton, you know, living out of the suitcase for some 300 days a year, that is in many ways home to him because his childhood was running all around to this track and that track. And, you know, he was signed at McLaren when he was, uh, a teenager and, and thrown into the mix into this crazy world, you know, of, of, of go kart racing, and then you know the lower levels of, uh, of open wheel racing, and you know working his way to F1. So, in many ways, you know, this is this is nothing that Lewis said to me, but my own sort of hypothesis is that. That, that brings him a level of comfort because he doesn't necessarily have a place that's the normal home that, that you know, Hollywood or you know, the movies might tell you this is where you go to uh, you know, go back to your roots and unwind and, and reconnect with you know, your childhood. Right, right. Re- reconnecting with his childhood is, is doing what he does in many ways. Um, and I also think there's a certain element of – you know, like any of us when, when when you go to these events and people are lined up to talk to you and lined up for your autograph and all they do is, is love you and fall all over you, well that can fairly quickly uh, although it may be temporary, um, fix any sort of, uh, you know, insecurities you might have or, or questions about who you are. I mean, for real, like, you know, you, 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 feel about, you feel better about yourself real fast when you show up to a red carpet and there's, you know, 5,000 screaming people that want your autograph and want to, you know, take their shirts off and throw them at you.
0: This is very true. This is very true. Well... Uh Concerning all the time that you had with him, and as you were just saying, you know the, that that desire all writers have to have a little bit more space. What scenes or anecdotes or parts of the story were left on the cutting room floor that you would would have liked to see be a part of this piece?
1: Yeah, there was one in particular. Um, the first day that we were in Barcelona, he had a all day photo shoot with with Hugo Boss, and it started in the morning at like you know nine or ten a.m. at uh, the W Hotel, and, and, and they literally closed off an entire hall, an entire floor of rooms that they're jumping in and out of shooting photos there, and it moved to a warehouse, uh, you know, down in, uh, you know, in, in, in the central part of Barcelona, and and that night, it's around seven or eight o'clock, and, and we're in the warehouse, there were two things that happened to me that, that were entertaining and interesting, or happened. One was, um, after Luis's teammate, you know, Valteri Botas had left, they had done some shoots together, and it was just Lewis and, and you've got, again, photographers, lighting people, uh, uh, makeup people. You've got the, uh, you know, the designers everybody. This is a room filled with, you know, 20, 25 people. And Lewis decides the lighting is not right. Um, and he proceeds to tell the photographer, look, man, I've done this many, many times, which he has. And basically, you know, your lighting right now is for crap. Um, <laughs> and and if you and if you didn't. If you didn't know Lewis and you just sort of stumbled into that, like at that point I had, my initial reaction to that was, dude, what a diva. Like, who cares what the lighting is? Like, take your picture, smile, and like, get out of here, you know? Right. And I realized that it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a diva, it's not necessarily ego he is is of the mindset that he's a perfectionist and he wants everything done the right way and look in his in his everyday job as a race car driver there is no margin for a little bit of an error you end up in the wall you end up dead and so i think you know when he's involved in something and it isn't done to the standards that he thinks it should be He's going to tell you that. He's going to tell the photographer. He's going to tell his stylist. He's going to tell the woman doing his hair, as you know, I mentioned in the story. He's going to tell anybody. And so that was a really sort of telling moment for me uh, at that shoot. The other one was just something you know, silly and funny. Uh, Lewis brings his dog around uh, everywhere he goes, two dogs, uh, um, and Roscoe and Coco, as much as he can. And, and on this particular day, uh, Roscoe was with him and going in and out of the photo shoot and up and down the stairs. And all of a sudden – uh, as Lewis is doing a uh, an, a wardrobe change, there there appears to be somewhat of a foul smell um, <laughs> inside inside this you know studio, and Lewis comes down and and in his you know wonderful English accent he you know basically says oh no did you know did Roscoe take a crap uh, he, he used a little bit more colorful <laughs> word than that and so for a good like two to three minutes. Lewis, his people, the Hugo Boss people that are all walking around the studio looking in and under and around things to see if somewhere somehow Roscoe had left a surprise for someone to find later. <laughs> and uh and they never did find it. Um so he he uh he he wrote it off as perhaps just a uh A a passing of some foul air, we'll say. Um, But it's hilarious, right? Here's this guy who's worth $250 million walking around a a, a photo shoot set trying to figure out whether or not his dog is taking a dump somewhere. (laughs) Well,
0: uh, Wayne, thank you so much for making time for this. Um, And I want to say thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and for reading your story.
1: Awesome. It's been great. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share a few more tales with you that – didn't make the cut.
0: So for this story and more, you can go to ESPN.com slash Doubletruck. We'll be back soon with more stories. I'm Justin Ellis. Thank you for listening.